0: Welcome to this week's edition of Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone. Excited to have Jack Miller of Establish the Run joining me. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the different best ball strategies you might use depending on which tournament you're playing in. Uh, Justin Herzig and I last week went over initial thoughts on the Best Ball Mania 3 giant tournament on underdog, but there's also some pretty big tournaments on drafters and on FFPC. So, Jack and I are going to look at those contests as well and just sort of look at what this structure, particularly, you know, where you're going to win the big prize money, whether it's the playoffs or total points over the course of the season, how that might change how you draft a little bit and the strategies you use. So I think there might be a tendency to just draft everything the same way with the same methodology, but there are some nuances, Jack, in these different tournaments. So we want to be thoughtful about those nuances and how that affects our drafts. So, thanks for joining me, Jack. You've got an article on site outlining this, and hopefully, we'll dig a little deeper right off the bat. I know the underdog Best Ball Mania Three. When you wrote up that section, you really referenced how a conversation you had with Adam Harstad affected you know your opinion on like just how important the playoff weeks are. Even though it might seem obvious, it's it's pretty glaring.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think everyone kind of understands that the playoff weeks are so important with the prize money up top, but I, I think a lot of people underestimate like just how much the the expected value multiplies once you get into those playoff weeks. And a conversation I had with Adam Harstad, at, he, he's at Football Guys, last year really changed my perspective on that. And, uh, and he wrote an article a few years ago that was basically saying that the regular season is less important than you think and the playoffs are you know what you should really be having in mind when you're drafting and he wrote that for regular leagues and with these large field best ball tournaments where so much of the prize money is at the top it becomes even more important and you can kind of do some math um to calculate like your expected value um entering each round and then you can find like a multiplier and Uh, and basically, what if you do that for underdogs best ball mania? You basically find that like each playoff week is more important than all 14 regular season season weeks. And so, I mean, the tough part is like how to apply that because, right, you know, we're drafting it's May right now, and we're trying to optimize for weeks that are going to be in December and January, which is a lot easier said than done but I do think that just because of how the expected value multiplies as you get deeper into the season, you do want to take some steps, um, just to, to mine some, some small edges later in the season.
0: Yeah. And it it is difficult because like you said, you're balancing the fact that, you know, wow, you know, the expected value in week 17 is, you know, 170 times what it was in, you know, in previous weeks. And, it's pretty insane. It makes you want to optimize for week 17, given that, you know, we're all in this to try and win a million or $2 million, which are the top two prizes in best ball media three. But at the same time, I want to be sort of aware of how much I can control, you know? So it's like the expected value increases, but how much control do I have over that? And my expected value also increase quite a bit if I'm just getting through more teams. And I think that's the balance that we're looking for. I know when I talk to Herzig, he's into stacking a little bit more. You know, it's not just that final week. That's a 470 person tournament, which is about three X what it was last year. But even to get there, I mean, you're basically winning a GPP type week to get there. So increasing the correlation makes a ton of sense. I know it's something I've been a little shaky on how much to apply it, but I did a, a draft recently Where I found it not too difficult to get in a couple of Week 17 game stacks without sacrificing too much value, especially once you get into the later rounds and the ADP value doesn't matter as much. I had a draft. Yeah, I started Kelsey at the one two turn, was able to get Juju at the five six, and Courtland Sutton is there, and Casey Denver play Week 17, so it's like I could take Jalen Hurts at quarterback here but i'll take sudden and then i was fortunate enough to get rust the next round and and sort of made that work and then you know i had taken i'm ross st brown at one point and when i was looking for my qb2 you know you've got detroit chicago playing in a dome week 17 i was able to get fields around adp so you're not really stretching to go nuts with these game stacks but there are some ways you can increase correlation at you know not too much of you're not deviating too much from your general strategy, anyways, in terms of how you're building your team. So, um, how have you, you know, how, how are you taking into account correlation stuff for week 17 or, um, any other ideas in terms of rookies and, and injured players and how underdog structure impacts how you deal with those types of players?
1: Yeah. I mean, so a lot of what you just said with increasing correlation via drafting a quarterback in the past, catcher on the same team or, um, a quarterback and an, a player on the opposite team for a game stack during the playoff weeks. And I, I actually just did an article that is on ETR Now that details kind of the, the late round guys that you compare uh, based on which quarterback you drafted. So that's, that's an easy one. And that's one that I think is even more important this year with the field being three times bigger. And then you mentioned rookies. I think that's another easy one because there's a lot of research out there indicating that Rookies improve throughout the season. I did an article last year um, showing how rookie running backs and receivers their production increases throughout the season, while veterans stay the same. So, from a relative standpoint, rookies gain in value um, relative to non rookies, and so then it would track that they are at their most valuable during the most important weeks. Um, so, I think rookies are definitely a, a good group to target, especially ones who don't project to like have, you know, a week one. Uh, role, but might have some speculative upside for if if they can beat someone out throughout the season, or if they can benefit from an injury. Um, some guys with contention upside, stuff like that, and then some mm-hmm. roster construction strategies too, like zero RB benefit uh, from the chaos of the season, and might be at their weakest week one when they don't have any starting running backs. But then, ideally, by the end of the season, you have because of you know the fragility of running backs, you've got a couple of guys who are in starting positions for the most important weeks. And then you've just got a loaded squad with viable running backs. In addition to the the high draft cap for receivers and tight ends that you already drafted.
0: Yeah. So mixing and matching both those strategies, I tried to get Vealus Jones in my last pick, you know, a rookie that we're not very high on, but round 18, it's going to be someone that would have been correlated with my Chicago Detroit game stack in week 17. And it's also a rookie that, you know, there's just more uncertainty with rookies and uncertainty can be a really good thing in fantasy at the right price because that's how you get your upside. You know, if you're drafting guys for what they are and not what they can be and their price reflects that, then there's not a whole ton of upside. And I'm generally looking at players, rookies or players that have switch offenses or switch quarterbacks or something where there's, you know, a bit of an unknown factor that increases that uncertainty and the more uncertainty, again, the more room for a player to to profit based on where they they are selected. Um, and then as far as the regular season prize goes, there is a million dollar prize for the regular season top score. Uh, I always like talking with Herzig because I he makes me think about things a little bit more. Sometimes I can be a little too dismissive of something that's, that's new. And for me, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to pay any attention to that because only one person wins it. Like there's no second place and it's so out there, but it's still, you know, 10, 10% of the prize pool, right? It's (laughs) the, the total prize pool is $10 million, I believe for the tournament. So million dollars, that's 10% of the prize pool, even though it's in a super high variance spot, a lot of, again, expected value is there's still some expected value wrapped up in that. So there are some teams that if you start with especially like if you start rb heavier jack i feel like you can start to make that draft one that not that you're going to tailor it 100% towards the regular season but you're going to be a little bit more mindful of okay let, let me give this team a chance at least versus uh some you know zero rb teams and loading up on the rookies and injured players you're hoping to squeak that team through in advance, but you know you're pretty much drawing dead to to outscore literally every other roster. So I'm keeping that in mind. And even on those teams, I think injured rookies are okay because in theory, most of the players you draft should be ready the first handful of weeks of the season. So if you take Chris Godwin and he doesn't play until five weeks in, you know, hopefully you've got that covered enough that it, it could still fit kind of both builds, the playoff build and the regular season championship build, but you can't take like three of those guys and, and compete for the regular season title.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and if you're trying to make a team that can go for that regular season title, I I kind of would have a harder time drafting Godwin just because I think if he misses a month of the season, uh and and that's like a fourth round pick or whatever, like I feel like that's a pretty a pretty big drop in expected points and obviously you still can win with chris godwin the regular season i just think it's a pretty decent drop to miss four weeks from such a high capital pick Mm -hmm. um but what you were saying with like if you start with an rb heavy start and then you might want to you know think about like maybe i can win the regular season prize i think if you do that if you go down that route then you can just like because you need a super team basically to finish first out of four hundred and fifty thousand teams so you can go super fragile with that. So if you start R B R B, then maybe you take only one more running back, and, um, and then because if any of them go down, then you're kind of you're kind of finished. But I think that kind of super fragile approach would be better. I mean, we'll talk about this when we get the drafters. Um,
0: yeah, we because, can segue to drafters too a little bit now and kind of talk about it simultaneously because yeah the similarities between this regular season prize on underdog and drafters drafters, there are no playoffs. It's going to be weeks one through 17 highest score wins. And I, part of me really loves that format, but week one there is worth as much as week 17. So some of the late season stuff we talked about gets thrown out the window a little bit more. And you know, the strategies you would try to make to win the regular season grand prize on underdog is what you're going to try and win the whole thing on drafters.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, on drafters, you can definitely go super fragile if you start RBRB and only take three or four running backs total. Um, on underdog, I still think you can go more fragile than normal if you, you know, want to keep that regular season prize in mind. But at the same time, you don't want to, you know, tank your chances of winning the big two million, two million up top, or one million for second place, just so you can have a better chance at the regular season prize. But on drafters specifically, um, I think. You can go with that super incredibly fragile approach if you start with a couple of running backs early.
0: And the the other thing I'm keeping in mind, so take a player like going circling back to the player like Godwin, and maybe I'm over galbraining this, but one, I think he's easier to implement in these strategies closer to the season because there's gonna be less uncertainty with the rest of your roster. And part of my idea of him still fitting into these regular season prize pools is that, Okay, let's say I'm drafting nine wide receivers. Eight of them are healthy to start the year. And I have Chris Godwin. Like I'm going to survive Godwin for four weeks just because I have eight bodies, even if they're not that great. That might not be true if you're drafting today in May. You know, you, you, know you, you might think that, and then you're really starting the season with six bodies. So I think he's someone who almost gains value as the off season goes on, just because the certainty of your other spots becomes, becomes more important. Um, and, but I, I almost like timing out, okay, he's going to miss five, six weeks In five, six weeks. I'm going to have other injuries and busts. And then I got one coming in and maybe, uh, I, I don't know. I kind of like t- trying to time it out that way a little bit, but maybe I'm undervaluing, you know, even with those healthy bodies, how much I'm losing out of, let's say like a fifth, sixth round pick, which is about where he's going right now.
1: I think that makes sense um, with the point you made about less uncertainty later in the off season and Godwin's more viable than because ADP will be, will be sharper closer to the season. But I still think, um, I mean, in the sixth round, I, I think he's, he's a good pick. I think he's going a little higher than that on underdog. And that's kind of what I was looking at, but yeah, he seems wide, to have a receivers. lot of variance.
0: There's a few, there's a few players this year That right now, just like they have a lot of variance in terms of where they're being picked. Um, some of the running backs are like that too. I've seen Zeke, like Zeke's ADP is a little earlier than I like, but I also had a draft where Zeke and Dobbins went in like round five. And I'm, you know, I'm good with I'm good with like five six. Like I'll I'll jump on that. Yeah, right now Godwin's ADP is pick 46, so it's right at the end of the fourth round. Um, so probably don't want to take him there Um, but if you can i think that last year for me the cutoff was really mid five was when things got ugly and it's probably somewhat similar this year where end of five i'd be fine taking him and deandre hopkins is another guy that you got to consider in that same tier where he's gonna miss he's six games he's suspended so you have more games off the top possibly more games off the top that you're missing than Godwin. There's, But when he's back, he's going to be most likely healthy. Whereas Godwin, there's a little more uncertainty. Maybe he misses 3-4, but he also could miss 8. And then that, that really does become a problem if he misses 8. Definitely. So sticking with drafters versus underdog, um, and you hit on the, the hyper fragile running back strategies, the like zero RB, which always comes up every offseason because it, it is a viable draft strategy and it's pretty divisive among people. That's something that plays better if you're playing for the playoff weeks because part of the entire idea of 0RB is that chaos is going to occur to the running backs over the course of the season. And you might struggle a little bit at times, but come the end of the season, your team has taken advantage of the chaos at running back where either you've directly benefited from injuries or other teams have just become weaker at running back while you've sort of stayed the same and you already have a built-in edge at wide receiver or the onesie positions because you didn't devote early capital to running back that works better when you're maximizing for a playoff stretch versus on drafters when again week one counts the same as week 17 so if you don't like zeke but it gets you you know 16 points a game the first month like that that does mean something a little bit more on drafters with the regular season prize versus on an underdog. underdog
1: 100 percent, and i think the flip side there Is that underdog is half ppr and when we looked at some of the roster constructions um we found that zero rb last year and and it is just a one-year sample so take it don't take it with a whole lot of you know don't don't totally rule out zero rb but the top one percent rate was not good and i think there was a similar outcome in 2020 uh so with the change from full ppr which is what most platforms are to half on underdog i think You have to keep that in mind when doing zero RB, but definitely with how underdog is set up, given the super top heavy payouts in the playoff structure in weeks 15 through 17, I think uh, it's more viable than, than somewhere like drafters maybe.
0: Yeah. And two years in a row on underdog, um, we've seen the zero RB teams have really good advance rates is what Jack's saying. But the, the top 1% regular season score wasn't that good. But keep in mind when we're saying, so the upside there is for the regular season isn't that good. But it's, in theory, still there for the playoffs, which does make it a fun strategy on Underdog. Because like, hey, I can not only advance teams, but then once they advance, that's where the upside uh, kicks in. So if you are going to do zero RB on drafters where it's the full season, I think you got to be really cognizant of, you know, mixing the RB archetypes, which is something we've talked about a lot. And I, I don't want to overplay it because I, I haven't done enough research to know if it's moving the needle as much as in my head, it makes sense or if it's just all randomness. But when I say mix archetypes, if you're taking six handcuff running backs on Drafters, like you're kind of screwed for the regular season. It's just gonna you're just gonna get killed at the running back spots the first three, four weeks and be tough to make up for it. Whereas if you take a couple of handcuffs, you know, a couple pass catching backs, you know, sneak in a James White late, even though he doesn't have a ton of upside, he could count, you know, points out of the gate. Maybe sneak in a couple guys like Melvin Gordon that have a little bit of a hybrid, you know, they have some contingent value, they have some standalone value that that's what you need to do on drafters if you are going to take more of a zero running back approach there.
1: Definitely. And I think drafters with the with there being no playoffs, I do think it kind of lends itself to drafting more running backs early because basically all the research I've seen um and and some of what I've done, but the the article I have in mind right now is the one Pat Crane did last year with the the RB dead zone starting at the 101. And he basically just said that the bust rates for early round running backs are so incredibly high. And the reason we still take them there and the reason they're still worth uh, those top 24 ADPs is because the upside is also so incredibly high. And because you can get those Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor type seasons that a wide receiver just doesn't really have the potential to offer you. And so I think given that you need a complete super team to finish. First out of tens of thousands of teams, I think it's like fifty-five thousand on drafters. I think you kind of need to just fully embrace the upside, and a lot of your teams are going to be dead in the water. But finishing twelfth in the league is the same as finishing second in the league, and any outcome that's not like top zero point one percent is the same as as any other outcome, even if it's in like the bottom ten percent. So I think you could just fully embrace like the high risk, high reward strategy uh, with the early round running backs, and then go fragile at running back
0: yeah I like that a lot I'm also looking forward to doing a different podcast with you at some point in the future on the running back dead zone that feels a little different to me this year because I feel like some guys that are better quality are in there than in past years or at least slipping a little bit further and I, I feel like the wide receiver upside might not be as strong as in past years which makes things really interesting when you're talking like you know, Zeke, Zeke is kind of like your prototypical RB dead zone guy where it's like he kind of stinks at this point, but he, he's just getting volume. Um, so I get that one. But you do get, you know, Brees Hall, you get um, J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers I've seen go late. And those are guys that we're almost drafting as rookies in the same spot that we're drafting them now when they have more of a carved out role from the start of the season. So it's, it's a little bit interesting. I digress, though. We haven't hit on FFPC yet. Now, the FFPC tournament's a little bit higher stakes. It's $125 entry fee. Like Underdog with FFPC, we have the playoff rounds, and we want to take some of those strategies from Underdog where we're optimizing for the end of the season and apply them. I will be a bit more stingier with making sure I don't lose ADP value when I do that on FFPC because while it's a top-heavy playoff structure like Underdog, it's still a massive, massive difference in terms of the number of entrants in this thing. Um, and and the advance rates in the playoffs are more of what they are in the regular season, that two out of 12 type thing. And when you get to the final, it's a 63-person final, which is a lot bigger than FFPC had last year, but a lot smaller than you know, the 470 or so that's gonna be in underdog. So a bit of a hybrid approach there on FFPC. What makes FFPC pretty fun for me, Jack, is you can really build the rosters in a lot of different ways. The way their setup is, it balances things a little bit more. It's full PPR, which makes you move more value to the wide receivers. But then some of that value is given back because we only have two starting wide receiver spots as opposed to three and two flex spots. So if you have some extra running back value, like it can get into your starting lineup. I think that gets overlook sometimes when talking about why wide receivers is so important on an underdog like starting three of them plus the flex is a big deal and then it's also tight end premium so you could potentially have double elite tight end be totally fine because they're going to score a lot more and they're not competing like on underdog if you take kelsey and andrews like you've locked up your flex spot which is really tough to do early on FFPC, you may have locked up one flex spot, but you still have another one. So uh definitely feel like people should be open to all sorts of builds based on how their drafts go on FFPC.
1: Yeah, definitely. You want to re- remain dynamic when drafting. I do think with the full PPR, you're usually going to want to be starting more. You're, you're usually going to want to fill those spots with receivers because they score a lot more than running backs um, or tight ends, as you mentioned. And I think going back to the zero RB, RB talk i think that ffpc would be the place to do that because it's full ppr they have the playoff weeks and the tight end premium um, allows you to draft or more so opens up the possibility of of picking a tight end early so you can pick a lot of receivers and then an elite tight end or two early and then backfill with running backs and still benefit from that late season emergence of uh, late round running backs and the fragility of the position more so than you could in in underdog with half PPR or drafters with just the every week counting the same.
0: Yeah, the catch volume from elite wide receivers really adds up in full PPR formats versus uh, half PPR formats. It might seem like a little thing, but it does add up. You know, you you get on underdog, you can sometimes get the guys that go 391 and that's what 18 point or um like like 16 and a half points on underdog which is more than a guy who goes 10 for 100 which is going to be 15 Uh, on ffpc that's going to be flipped the guy that goes 10 for 100 is going to outscore um by the same amount that they would have lost on underdog so that adds up i will say on ffpc what's interesting we haven't delved into this part of it too much yet jack but the way the adps are different on the two sites is also interesting in terms of how to build so on a macro level, I agree zero RB is better on FFPC. What I really like is the, the hero RB, where you start with one early. And a big reason for that is on FFPC, I can get some late wide receiver values that I can't get on underdog. It's It can be a, you know, a pretty big difference. I just know, even like drafting last year, like getting Cooper Cup at the end of round four, Debo Samuel in round eight, like those were things you couldn't do really an underdog and I've seen it so far this year, a little bit too. And it floods all the way through to even the double digit rounds to an extent where, you know, an underdog when you're in round 17, 18, well, 17, 18 gets sparse anywhere, but let's say like rounds 15, 16, an underdog, you're taking some real swings at wide receiver. Whereas on FFPC, you can take some guys that are somewhat solidified in their role there. So that's a little bit different. FFPC this year also made a change. They're, tournament drafts are now 20 rounds they were 18 last year uh which you know again that that can that doesn't necessarily mean you should go towards one position heavier than another. it's just something to keep in mind that if you like load up on uh, wide receiver early and you do a full zero rb approach you do have a couple extra you know dart throws to throw rb at the end so i think it fits well with the more extreme strategies i guess is what i'm getting whatever it is I think the more extreme strategies work when you can stockpile quantity at a position at the end, even if it's like a bunch of low probability hits.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've done, you've done, I think, more FFBC than me this year. I have yet to do that or actually enter the 125 tournament. I think I'm going to later in the summer, but I haven't done so yet. Uh, About Hero RB, I like to do that, honestly, regardless of format. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the win rates over the past, basically across platforms, across, you know, best ball tens, FFPC, underdog, like everything, it just crushes. And so Hero RB is like my favorite strategy to implement regardless of platform. And from the sounds of it, FFPC is is the spot to do that based on what you're saying. So
0: I yeah, will be looking so to do that later. Just as an example, Sky Moore's ADP, which has been ruined by ship chasing on underdog. This might be like a day old, but underdog was 82.8. So like 83 108 on FFPC Um, It's a little bit different positionally, but even if we look at like, you know, Chase Claypool over on FFPC, his ADP is 122. You're talking what the end of round 10 it's, you know, a full round earlier on underdog. So it just, it just adds up that a lot of those receivers ADPs are around later. And then if you get a guy that just slips around on top of that, you know, cause we're generally chasing ADP values anyways, you start to see where, okay, like I took chase Claypool in round 11 versus round nine. Like I can get away with, uh, having taken an early back because I can stockpile this upside a bit more.
1: Yeah. I mean, underdog just because of, I think the audience that plays it, I feel like underdog is more, I don't know, reactive to Twitter. I would say reactive to facing. <laughs> um and so the the receivers definitely go earlier there which is interesting i mean it is another wide receiver starting spot but also the half first full ppr makes a big difference
0: this is getting a little bit away from like tournament specific strategies but i am curious your thoughts on that on the wide receiver adp because for me it's this weird dynamic where i'm trying to explain this the right way but generally you want to zig or zag when others zig or you know whatever you want to, you want to do the opposite. You want to be a little bit contrarian because you want to do the same as everybody else. You know, generally that's how you're going to get your value. I found for myself last year, an underdog in the wide receiver heavy rooms that that was, was hard to zig because if I went running back early, because everybody was going receiver early, the wide receiver barrage never stopped. And I couldn't make up for the lack of quality with quantity because I was just taking really shitty wide receivers in rounds 10 through 14, and I could never catch up. It almost made sense for me to get ahead of it a little bit early and get my wide receivers and then maybe take some running back values. Like, I mean, there were times last year, Josh Jacobs went around seven. Um, And that's the other thing with running back. This is our cardinal rule for best ball. Almost every format is you can take them early. You can take a lot of them, but you can't do both at the same time. And if you get caught in a wide receiver heavy room and you take some early, you can't take the values that drop in round seven because you've, you've already kind of hit your max capital, whereas wide receiver, there's that max capital is a lot higher that you can devote towards it. So I don't know. So then I, I don't, looking at that in light of FFPC where I know I can get these wide receiver values later, you know, it's weird to say that I'm almost more willing to draft a running back early there, even though the room likes running backs more there, but it seems really counterintuitive to a contrarian approach, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on on those types of draft rooms, but that's something a concept I struggled with last drafting season.
1: Yeah. What I did last year in, I don't know if this is completely correct, just because it was such a different environment than we had ever seen before when ADP just completely changed in like mid-July, but I would, before that, um, I was basically doing like hero RB or bimodal RB with the two running backs early and then hammering wide receivers, um, in like most of my drafts. And then as the season went on, I became a little bit more open to taking the the RB values when they fell a lot past ADP but I would like Josh Jacobs in the 7th or, or any of those other examples with the dead zone RBs falling like two rounds past ADP which was kind of insane last July but I think like you said you don't want to get left behind a wide receiver like receivers the one position where you you really can't get left behind at and so I was still um making sure I got enough receivers early I do think maybe part of it was that last year there were so many teams that we're going hyper fragile at running back. And so with that, they're taking four running backs and 10 receivers and they were taking all these wide receivers early. So I wonder maybe if, if people are going to dial back on the hyper fragile this year and go back to taking five or six, because I think, I think five and six running back teams had a little uh, better win rates last year, unless you took four total with two early. Um, I think that also had a really good win rate. So I think maybe the, the quantity of receiver, uh, the quantity of receivers overall will be taken this year if people go hyper fragile less. Um, so we'll yeah I guess we'll just see.
0: Yeah, we saw like I'm looking at the advance rates and these teams struggled that went. What well, your base advance rate is what like sixteen point seven percent? Yeah, yeah. So there were of teams that took ten wide receivers which I was a big proponent of taking 10 wide receivers, but because of the rooms, like they didn't do that good. If you took one, two, three, or four early, like all the 10 wide receiver builds really didn't do that well. And I think part of it is people might've gone overboard, myself included with it. And that ended up, if more people are doing this, that's where if more people are doing the same strategy, you get in trouble a little bit, where if they're drafting receivers early and they're taking 10 of them, you got to figure out a way to combat that, which might be to just, Stop at less amount of receivers, compete with their receivers because you took good ones early, and now have more roster spots to devote to other positions. Because we did see like three quarterback and three tight end stuff did a little bit better than we thought. And that was almost the opposite of too many people went hyper fragile because it worked. I think too many people avoided a third onesie position on borderline teams. This was something I was for sure guilty of just because last season you know, if we're trying to hit the true nuts, we'd ideally like to go two quarterback, two at tight end. But um, the equilibrium point definitely changed with people stockpiling wide receiver a ton. It took more receivers than they did the previous year. They took less onesie positions. It changed the type of teams you were competing against. It also changed the ADPs of where you would get the third tight end or third quarterback. Um, That is something we noticed. We caught it at least a little bit last year with like, I think it was Hunter Henry who was going like round 16 and we're like, okay, him and maybe Austin Hooper, like we'll we'll take those guys. They could even count and flex at that point.
1: Yeah. I mean, my general stance with a lot of this is to not be overly reactive um, to one, one season. So like, like last year I was, for the most part, I still wanted five running backs because with like years of best ball 10 and stuff like that, um that had been the best and obviously it's different with a tournament like this where you want to embrace the fragility a little bit more but I think maybe people were going like too fragile at running back and tight end because I think the the when it makes sense to go hyper fragile running back is when you have like two at least two like locked in studs I don't really think you want to go hyper fragile just for the sake of going hyper fragile when you only have one running back who you can really count on to be in your lineup every week, because at least on underdog and FFPC, it's different on drafters because you need like the nuts at, at everything. You need like all the guys to take it home, but on underdog, a pretty like balanced team can, can win the whole thing. You can withstand injuries. Um, obviously not like to major players, but like if your RB three gets hurt, you can still win the whole thing. Uh, and so I think that the taking not going too fragile, um might make more sense
0: yeah absolutely all right well we hope you enjoyed this episode taking a look at the different tournament structures get out there get best ball in um all of them are a lot of fun i know i played on uh ffpc and underdog quite a bit last year probably will dive into drafters more this year i do like the idea of just a full points chase i think for the way i draft it actually kind of caters towards my style naturally a little bit more So if you are listening to this and enjoyed this, if you're watching on YouTube, like us, subscribe to us on Establish the Run on YouTube, the podcast, Establish the Edge on iTunes. Uh, Any ratings, reviews help us a ton to keep doing this stuff for free. Best of luck this best ball season, and thanks for listening.